0: circus train <laughs> and this is
1: the
2: son lopez and i'm still not playing gloomhaven so stop fucking asking me <laughs> and this is mike pullman and i am not playing seafall
0: oh my god mike pullman you could get seafall for like 12 dollars all over the place that's one of those things that's anywhere you go it's like on clearance people are trying to get rid of copies of the seafall yeah i,
2: I really enjoyed how it started and then it kind of took a dive quickly
0: <laughs> and I think that's why it's on sale for $12 everywhere.
2: Yeah.
0: Yep. Uh, Mike, so I want you pointed out before you started recording, it's been over a year. Uh, how has Gaming Goat in uh, – it's Littleton, Colorado, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. How are you, as a guy who runs a gaming retail store, uh, what's going on?
2: So uh, when COVID first hit in force uh, almost a year ago – uh, we were shut down for about two and a half months, March, April, and part of May, uh, when they were doing all the lockdowns here. And we've been open since. Uh, we're not allowing any in-store gaming, um, so it's just for retail. I set up a, an online site so people can do an order online and pick up at the curb. Um, it's hurt business, but we're doing okay. Um, people still like buying games, so people still buy Magic cards. So so we're getting by, and there's been some, uh, some government assistance along the way, too.
0: Now, more importantly, what kind of board gaming have you guys been doing? I have been, because I am kind of in a a, a pod of one, uh, pretty much, uh, I've been doing a ton of solitaire board gaming. I have on a few rare occasions met with a friend and we either sat masked or we sat outside uh, at a table pretty far across from each other and I think we were both a little careful about handling the same pieces too much. But I've just been doing a ton of solitaire gaming and almost no actual in-person board gaming. Uh, tell me about your respective situations. Hassan, what's, uh, what's your year of gaming during the pandemic been like?
1: Uh, it's been weird, for sure. It's it's This whole thing's a tragedy. Um, but... Uh, we I've certainly been doing my fair share of solitaire gaming because I like I, I enjoy that that's not a problem for me and then my group has been doing quite a bit on tabletop simulator so that has been our our backup and we've been trying as best we can to keep up the the once a week deal and I will say that there are some games that actually play maybe better on TTS it's a rarity but something like Twilight Imperium which is really hard to set up and keep going unless you do it all in one session. Uh, the TTS mod for it is excellent. So we've had some some games of that. And you know, every now and then we just download a mod and try it out and see, see what works. Um, the game I'm gonna be talking about today is something we've played mostly together on TTS.
0: Did you have a problem getting people in your group to pick up Tabletop Simulator?
1: Not so much. Actually, the guy, one guy in our group, Eric, really took the lead on this because he's thoroughly obsessed with twilight imperium so uh, to the point where like he joins tournaments and crazy shit like that so um he and, and in the in the twilight imperium community tts is just it's huge it's the i think it's the default way that a lot of people nowadays play so he kind of took the lead in teaching us all the tricks and clever tips to make it as smooth a pos- as possible even though it is Really, I mean, it's a total pain in the ass, and for for people who really are into board gaming because of the physical touch and the playing with real components, it it strikes me as kind of absurd, you know.
0: Well, would you say that uh, does it actually shave time off of uh, the playtime for Twilight Imperium?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I it might because there's some stuff that's automated that is just so convenient um, in terms of battle calculations and. And a lot of the upkeep, um, a lot of the bookkeeping. I mean, most games, as you guys probably know, like uh, playing on TTS is going to make it longer. It's just going to be more fiddly. It's not going to be as smooth. You're adding on another 30 to 60 minutes to your play experience. But I think for something like Twilight Imperium, it, it is a bit faster.
0: Have you guys tried any tabletop simulator games that it became clear that this is not good for tabletop simulator either because it's not a good module or the game isn't suited for it or you Im- immediately realize nope this is not something we should be doing on tts it's <laughs> a good question yeah I've, i mean I actually thought, if not I've, that's good news like if they've all been smooth that's great
2: uh, they have all been smooth <laughs> 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 i've actually used a couple of the other services to um, tabletop simulator and the fact that it's a 3d engine and things kind of flop around bothers yeah. me sometimes so yeah. i've messed around with tabletopia and board game arena a little bit as well
0: board game arena is really smooth i mean it's an asmodee project now so now it is yeah got, yeah, yeah but uh the, the things i tried on board game arena and i so hasan i actively cannot stay on tabletop simulator which is one of the reasons i ask is a lot of our group has sort of floated hey let's do this and actually some of them to their credit they're they're Board gaming with each other, and good for them. But I just—it just kills me fiddling with that 3D stuff and the mm-hmm. interface. And but I, as as a real stick in the mud in terms of these digital conversions using something like TTS, uh, I was really pleased with the couple of games I tried on Board Game Arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, Mike, what has your uh, in-person or or actually multiplayer board gaming been like in the last year?
2: Yeah. So, like you guys, I've done. I've been doing some fair amount of solitaire as well. Um, but my wife's an avid gamer, so we play at least two-player games fairly often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've been playing with friends and family um, on some online services. We've been using, we've been playing Terraforming Mars uh, both on iPads and Steam and stuff since that's cross-play, and everyone likes that. And that's kind of a a slow enough game you can be watching a movie when you're playing. But sometimes right. we'll have like a Zoom call up and we're talking during it too. Um, but otherwise, a little bit of uh, TTS and then. I've actually been doing more role playing than board game in the past year because we just hop on Discord for that every couple of weeks.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, as for the specific games that we're going to uh, talk about today, uh, I would actually kind of like you to start, Mike, because you're, uh, your game is the one I know the least about and I'm most curious uh, okay. about. Okay. So uh, tell us, what, what have you been playing that you're going to talk about today? So I'm going to
2: talk about Forgotten Waters, which is a uh, newer Crossroads game from Plaid Hat. So this is in the same series as things like uh, Dead of Winter and uh, whatever that one about stuffed animals, stuffed animals.
0: Oh, no. Cause, well, that's an adventure book series. Oh, right. Um, but this is
2: actually also this is a book, too. So it's kind of a hybrid. Ah, so um, uh, unlike uh, so Dead of Winter used the Crossroads concept as there's a deck of cards for essentially random story events. And, uh, forgotten waters took that and changed it into a website you use. It's a totally uh, free website. You don't know, have to download an app. Uh, but all of the story elements are voice acted, which is pretty cool. And, um, one of the main problems I had with dead of winter is you'd be presented a choice. And then, you know, an inch down is the results of the choice. I think it was upside down.
0: <laughs> so it was,
2: it was kind of easy to spoil. Whereas using a website, you have no idea before you make a, a decision. Um, but what really I, what cool, I like about that, yeah.
0: Mike, I want to say is when, when I look at that kind of layout on a story-based game where you've got the text and then the result at the bottom, mm-hmm. I'm never entirely sure if the designer, unless it's spelled out, if the designer wants me to take into account the gameplay result or if I'm just supposed to narratively go with the flow. Right. I, is it a, I think is it when a you blind dis-
2: choice or, or do right. you... Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. It should be one or the other when you're actually making your game and some games are... are kind of ambiguous about about that so Mm -hmm. I always err on the side of well if you didn't tell me otherwise screw you I'm going to read the actual gameplay results of what's going to happen so I do like that in Forgotten Waters it sounds like by making it a web app situation Mm -hmm. they're definitely leaning towards nope you're not supposed to know the gameplay implication Mm
2: -hmm. so the 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 cool thing about this game is they made an entire site so you can play uh, remotely and it's free for everyone to use. Everyone just joins a the website. They all hear the same narration. You hand out the different roles of the game, which I'll get into. And it's, uh, other than having the text from the actual components in front of you, uh, it's you don't even need to have a game. So essentially one person in the group needs to have the game to read some things occasionally. Oh. So works really well. Um, it is a pirate-themed game. So the players uh, cooperatively, cooperatively play a uh, pirate crew. And there's uh, seven different roles, and if you have less than seven players, you can just divvy up some person as two or three or whatever. Uh, And it's things like there's a person who's the cooper, and they keep track of the supplies. And there's a ship scribe who writes down notes, like, we found this treasure map and things like that. Um, So the
0: idea is when you play, you always have seven characters?
2: uh, Not seven characters, seven roles. So each person has a, a little miniature Uh, a little standy actually Uh, but one person might be both the captain and the guy who does uh, you know the fixing the hull right okay Uh, but you can play up to seven that way Uh, and then as you're going there's this book a spiral round book kind of like Stuff Fables and it will be for different locations like maybe I'm in a port or an island and then on the left hand side is a nice big picture which is actually shown on the website And then on the right, there's a bunch of different choices. I think there's typically seven of them and you are allocating each player to what we're going to do. So for example, it might be go hunting or go fishing or during combat there might be a task of ready the cannons. So as a group, you decide who's going to do what. And there's some, uh, a given scenario may have some mandatory ones like feeding the crew. Uh, And then you kind of go down the list and you start making skill checks. So, uh, if I'm on chart of course, uh, my, you get these little character sheets and it might be, I have to roll navigation, which is just a simple D6 system and you check for successes and stuff. And it will say, if you rolled more than a 10, read this. Or if you rolled more than a 15, enter this number into the website, which starts a whole new uh, a narrative section. So it's um, it's cooperative, but it's it seems to resist the problem of cooperative games where someone is dictating. I know that's a big problem you have with co-ops, Tom, Um, but because you don't know the results, and often it just says type one two three into the app, it's you can kind of decide. Oh, I think we should go fishing, or we should go explore this cave, but no one really knows what's going to happen. And it is it is somewhat randomized between sessions too.
0: Could Hassan or I play it solitaire?
2: You could. Like so there's no have... there's
0: no like dead of winter uh, treachery or traitor mechanic or there's nothing where information needs to be hidden from different characters.
2: Nope, not at all. Uh, there's there the typically when you're out at sea there's a mandatory task of feeding your crew, and they have a, a way essentially a band aid. So if you're playing by yourself you don't have to pick that every time. So they just have your food kind of food count go down automatically each uh, each turn.
0: And and kind of like the other adventure book series, I imagine it's a it's a series of linked scenarios, a kind of mm-hmm. a flow chart through a plot or something.
2: Yeah, and there's um maybe a half dozen different stories. Uh and then you have an actual cardboard map of where your ship is and has all these little hexes for different islands and features and so on. And then you'll tell it, you know, I move my ship one hex to the left and I land on a tile that has a number, I pop it into the app and it will say all right, turn your spiral book to page sixty-four, and now we're fighting a kraken.
0: Right. So it's uh, how far have you gotten into that that uh, story? Like, do you have a sense for the overarching narrative yet, or are you still in the early stages?
2: So there's different episodes; they're all kind of individual. Um, they're all in the same, same recurring characters, same universe. Uh, we've done two to completion, um, and then they all the ones we've done have a halfway point where you can say, "Do you guys want to keep playing?" And otherwise, you write down a couple things and which tiles you've removed from the game and such. And uh, you can pick it up later. Right. So I've done, like I said, I think two of them to completion. Um, it's very funny. They name all of the islands after cheeses, and it's very tongue-in-cheek piratey humor. Uh, and the voice acting is, is really quite good. And it's, like I said, it's fully voice acted even for little things like, you know, you're under attack. And that's all it says. But they have voices for the works. Right.
0: Uh, Hassan, have you tried any of Plat Hat's adventure book or Crossroads games?
1: Just the zombie one.
0: Dead, dead of uh, winter, dead, winter. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I quite like it. We haven't played it as a group for at least a couple of years, but I do like that one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Mike, I mean, this this sounds very much like, you know, an, a, a light RPG almost, you yes. know, without mm-hmm. needing a game master.
2: Is that kind of the feel of it? It is. And you get these, um, one of the cool parts I haven't talked about yet is you get a character sheet and um, each one kind of has a story So there's, I think a dozen of these, like there's, um, there's one called like the skeletal pirate and there's one that's the, you know, the, the cook pirate and things like that. So you get these sheets and you can print them from their website for remote players and you do a little mad libs on it. Like, you know, give me a noun and an adjective that creates a story that you read at the beginning to everyone. And it might involve other characters. And then there's a chart of all your skills. Uh, I think there's maybe 10 of them. But it's things like hunting, aiming, swagger, uh, different priority stats, and those keep going up throughout the game. So as you exercise them, let's say I go hunting, my hunting typically will will go up by a notch before I roll to see if I succeeded. And then along those paths of the skills are these little stars. And then, uh, for each character, there's a picture of a star constellation. If you want to think of something like Skyrim and branching out from there, every time you get a star, you fill in a circle. And as you hit certain points of this constellation, events happen. And your goal is actually to fully fill it in by the end of the adventure. That means you became the best pirate you could, essentially. And different events happen. You might get treasures. Uh, there's uh, Treasures would uh, be cards you get that modify stats or one uses. So it's, it's very cool. Um, it's, I would not call it a legacy game, but it's close. Because during an adventure, things are persistent. But then when you start a new adventure, it all starts over from scratch.
0: But you keep your character progression, though, right? Like, isn't that the persistence?
2: Uh, just for the adventure. Every time you start a new adventure, you ah. start from scratch. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Now, is this... how is the rules clarity? And I ask because uh, I know this isn't technically part of the adventure book series. That's uh, There's a whole slew of folks over there at Plaid Hat who do the actual design work. and the adventure series... Uh, book series is by a fellow named Jerry Hawthorne. And mm-hmm. I feel that over his successive games, there was the Stuffed Fables, then Comanots, uh, mm-hmm. and then one called Aftermath. Um, they all, I think, had problems with murky rules where it wasn't clear how newly introduced elements and different types of uh, campaign progression would interact with each other. Um, mm-hmm. However, Forgotten Waters is not uh, Jerry Hawthorne. It's Jonathan Gilmore who did Dead of Winter and it's a guy mm-hmm. named J. Arthur Ellis who did a game that I just posted a review of called Raxon, which I don't think did very well for Plaid Hat, but I think has some really solid design ideas. So, mm-hmm. whereas I was skeptical of the Adventure Book series because of the previous games, I really like the two guys whose names are on Forgotten Waters mm-hmm. and I'm hoping that that's not an issue here. Are the rules pretty clear?
2: Yeah, I haven't had any rules problems. Uh, the app really helps it because if you enter a number when you're not supposed to, it'll say, are you sure you're right, you should have done, you know, the end of turn sequence first and things like that, and it kind of helps you keep on track. Uh, and then it's very much guided, you know, turn, there's these little dials that track, let's say, the hit points of an a, a enemy ship I'm fighting. It'll say, turn this to six, and then at the end of the turn, is this at zero? No, okay, we start another round of combat. So it's it's asking you questions fairly frequently, especially between turns, to make sure it knows the state of the game to match what you are doing in, with real pieces.
1: I, I Tom, can't how tell do you feel about the uh, the use of the the website app with this with this game does that, Does that bother you or does it sound
0: okay? I, I'm not I entirely sure. Yeah, like I, that, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know if you were asking me. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I would uh, ask right.
1: both of you. Yeah, what do you guys think?
0: Because I United normally, Wars. I hate app-driven stuff. Like, I right. that just makes my skin crawl. But this sounds like it was kind of, um, the, in a way, the basis for the game. And I can't tell if I'm turned off or if I think it's really cute that there's this element of big brother watching you and making sure you're getting the rules right. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I feel like the, you know, for a piratey adventure, the the voice acting especially helps you kind of really get into it. Right. And, you know, as you're just sitting there idle doing your turns, you're hearing sounds of the sea or mm-hmm. it knows what page you're supposed to be on in the book. So it'll have background noise appropriate to what you're currently doing. Right. And just that little bit of ambiance, I think, really is, is pretty immersive for the, as you said, it's on kind of the light RPG experience. That's pretty cool. All
0: right. Forgotten Water is good. Okay. Mm-hmm uh okay i want to tell you guys now about the game that i'm playing because uh it's it's entirely solitaire and it's part of a genre that i find more of a mechanic i guess that i find fascinating because it's uniquely suited to solitaire and that's roll and write roll and write games uh, at least the ones that i've played are kind of notorious for not having a ton of player interaction or, for what they do, it's like one conspicuous element of it. Um, and this game that I'm going to talk about now, it, it models pinball as roll and write, and there is nothing, zilch, nada, there is no player interaction whatsoever other than comparing your scores at the end of the game. The game can even go on, like, I can finish my three balls on a pinball table, and I have to sit there and twiddle my thumbs and wait for you guys to finish if we're playing <laughs> multiplayer, because you might be going longer. Um so it, it it right away gets at the fact that roll and write has no has an issue with player interaction by just completely shrugging and saying there's no player interaction here. Which is kind of awkward because it ships with four tables. And mm-hmm. each table is a board that you roll and write on, and because it's supposedly four player, you've got four copies of this table and you're only ever gonna need one unless you're playing it as a multiplayer game. So I've got a ton of extra cardboard in this little box right here that I will never need. Um, Seems like a a bit of a a waste. But uh, that said, the single copy of each table that I do need, that I do use, uh, I really do like because I'm fascinated with pinball. I love pinball. Uh, I Sort of grew up with it a little bit. Uh, Mike, I think you're probably into it hardcore than I am, but uh, Mm -hmm. actual pinball, I did a little bit as a kid, but I love video game pinball. And watching board game videos, I came upon someone once who, I forgot what he was streaming, but he he, he was live streaming board games, and then he live streamed a pinball game, and he titled it something about how pinball and board games are similar. And I was like, oh, yes, this is cool. I want to hear someone articulate this. And then he proceeded to just play the pinball table and explain the rules of the table and never touched on the point of how it's like a board game. Um, But I did. I, I find that extremely provocative in that they are both themed rule sets on a board. And you look at the board, and you navigate the rules, and you create a score. I mean, that's a very reductionist description of a board game and a pinball machine, but they definitely have that in common, is we've got these stylized mechanics. In the case of a board game, whatever kind of board game it is, in the case of a, a pinball game, there's uh, bumpers, and lanes, and spinners. And we're going to like thematically have these feed into your score, and you've created Maybe not a narrative, but some sort of thematic scoring map, like a playfield. Mm-hmm. So what they do with this game, and I'll tell you the game and the name now, the name of the game, and it's uh, so it's called Super Skill Pinball 4 k and it's such a mishmash of, let's throw in words, like I, it's one of the least snappy titles I could imagine for a pinball game, uh, <laughs> And it's called that because it's it's like an arcade, but there's four tables, so it's 4K'd. And uh, it's, it's WizKids Pinball Release. And the guy who made it just made a game called Versailles 1919, <laughs> which is a <laughs> super heavy GMT war game. Uh, and yeah. he made it with a guy named Mark Herman, who's super hardcore. Uh, it's for four players only, and you play the Allies after World War One doing the peace treaty at Versailles um, it just as hardcore a game as you could imagine. And then this is his next thing, super skill, pinball, 4 <laughs> This is a, <laughs> this
1: is Jeff Engelstein,
0: right? Is that exactly. Right? His name is Jeff Engelstein. Yeah. Yeah, do, he's, do you...
1: yeah. I, I, I know him quite well and I, he's, I really respect him because he like, I think this is like what you're describing is an example of how Um, he can really jump around quite a bit in terms of his designs and he can do super heavy historical simulation type stuff as well as this pinball type thing and also from a game designer perspective he's written um, along with this other guy Isaac Shalev he's written a a, um, a really wonderful resource for game designers a book that is kind of like an academic volume on game design and I can't I can't recommend it highly enough it's really exceptional if you want to dig into the inner workings of game design, or if you were planning on teaching a course or something like that, um, he's, he's a really bright guy.
0: Hassan, I am not the least bit surprised to hear that because uh, what, what I like about Super Skill Pinball 4K is uh, how well made it is. I mean, clearly this is not some guy just sitting around thinking, eh, what, "What what would be kind of like pinball? I mean, this is clearly a, a, a meticulously designed system. And I love how each of the four tables expresses this system in a different way, with a different kind of an emphasis. Uh, and uh, Engelstein also made an adaptation of a TV show called The Expanse, a board game that's kind of like a light Twilight Struggle, which I really like as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also super meticulous and super smart. Um, so the, the way he decides, hey, here's how we're going to present a pinball machine with a board game is... Naturally, you've got a board that represents a a pinball table, and it's divided into zones from top to bottom. And each zone has elements that are given a die value, elements like like bumpers, or drop-down targets, or lanes, or spinners, or flippers at the very bottom. And when it's your turn, you take a little tiny silver ball marker It's at the top of the table. You roll two dice, and then you always move the silver ball marker down one zone onto one of the targets with the die value that you rolled. So if I roll a 1 and a 5, I move down to the next zone, and I can either put the ball on the 1, which is a bumper, or maybe on the 5, which is a a drop-down target, and I have to make these choices. And the different targets interact with each other and interact with the scoring in different ways. Um, And then when you eventually get to the bottom of the table, the flippers also have numbers. They're, They're targets. And you spend a die, and you put the ball on the flipper, and now when you're moving off of the flipper, you go back around to the top of the table. So you're running circuits around this table, and it creates a, a kind of a, a color-coded flow chart through themed scoring spaces, and they interact with the other spaces. Uh, the problem, however, well, not the problem, but how he adapted this as a roll and write is every time you go to a target, the, the board has a it's a... It's got a dry erase marker, and it's a laminated board. Every time you hit a target, you cross off the target. You can't hit that target anymore. So as you're playing this table, as you're crossing off spaces, uh, it's filling up with blocked spaces. And eventually, even your flippers are blocked, so you can't catch the ball at the bottom zone, and it drains. And that's one of the three balls that you've lost. So one of the things that happens, it immediately makes this very, very different from real pinball is that part of real pinball is the moment I pull that plunger and let it loose and the ball shoots out on the table. I don't know if I'm going to be here for five seconds or for 15 minutes. You know, an actual pinball ball on a table can theoretically last forever. In best case scenario, that's how long it'll last because I'm scoring the whole time. Uh, there's no fuel or There's no time limit. I can hit that bumper an infinite number of times. But in this board game imagination of pinball, there's a hard limit, uh, which is fine. It's an abstraction. The game has to make one. Uh, And part of the design is clearing blocked spaces so you keep the ball out there uh, longer. Um, But it works as a roll and write where you're navigating this themed space with die rolls as best as you can. And I like especially how it has unique rules for the different elements at work, like the flipper, like spinners, like bumpers, drop down targets. Um, so as an expression of pinball, I really like what what Engelstein has done here.
1: It sounds um, interesting, and I mean it does sound like even though you obviously can't play forever, that if you and I were playing against each other and you were playing better than me, your game would last longer, right? And you score more points. Is that the idea?
0: Definitely. Uh, but there, I, I've actually played multiplayer a few times, and I was surprised that it wasn't it it wasn't more than a couple of turns like it wasn't like someone still had and i didn't play a ton but it was never like oh i've i've lost all three balls and my friend sharon she's still got a f- one and a half of her game to go <laughs> right. um,
1: it's like it's like when you play four player tapestry and one guy finishes
0: 45 yes minutes before you and you're like see you later dude we're gonna keep scoring points for a while sorry exactly because part in something like tapestry like those later turns there's more complexity there's more stuff going on you've got more developed you've got tougher choices to make uh yeah. here as there are fewer as the as the game goes on there are fewer choices to make because the table is filling up so yeah. it's not that sort of thing like oh it's those those difficult end game turns and mike's still got to make two of them and you and i are, are done yeah right. so right. Um, and
1: and as I understand it, Tom, like these four tables that he includes, like some are maybe a little bit easier to get a handle on. Do you have do you have a favorite? Do you like yes. the, the crazier
0: ones? So, and that's one of the things I mentioned at first, is I really like how using this basic system and creating four tables, each table flexes the system in a different way. And that's part of it, is it goes from less complex to more complex. Uh, but I will also say, so there are four tables, each with its own theme. If I were to list ten things in the world that I really hate, that I just don't like, his themes have picked two of them. <laughs> there, there's a, and and that is a circuses and disco. <laughs> totally. The, so the the basic tutorial table is a circus table, and it's very straightforward. I honestly have I, I don't I can't imagine I would ever need to play that one again. It does feel like hey play this simple colorful circus table just to learn the basics. Uh-huh. But then the other three all have unique, distinct mechanics and that increasing complexity. And the disco one, even though (laughs) Who makes a disco table in 2020? Uh, The the disco one has this unique conceit where you're rolling two dice and then picking the die that you want. What the disco one does is it challenges you to keep two balls going on separate tables. So you need both of those dice, and you have to make very difficult decisions about how each ball keeps the other one in play and keeps them going. And it's almost like juggling in a a way. and that's unique to this this derpy uh, disco table. I will say also the artwork uh, in these games and all of them, regardless of the theming, and I mean this with the utmost affection because it does make me think of those pinball games I used to play in a Seven Eleven, waiting at the bus stop to go to school when I was in sixth grade. Uh, but the artwork is really kind of derpy. <laughs> and I don't <laughs> – and again, I say that affectionately, so um, – mm. Yeah. So the the uh the other table there's a cyberpunk table which has a really cool push your luck mini game where you kind of bank the ball for a while and you play a completely separate game with the two dice which has a lot of risk reward that represents hacking something, um, and the craziest table and I love this one is I mean it'd be worth the price of admission if it was just this table there's a, a fantasy themed table called Dragon Slayer, and it has this concept of um, Building up either points or a hoard, uh, like a treasure hoard. And the hoard uh, represents like a jackpot. So, a lot of the targets you decide do I want this to apply to my score or to the hoard? And the whole point of the hoard is that as you're playing, you're building up this jackpot and you have to kill a dragon to actually score it. Um, And so that's where the big points are. And and it has a magic system, too, as you level up. It introduces new rules that kind of subvert elements of the table. Um, For instance, normally you have to kill the dragon if you want the horde bonus. But if you research the invisibility spell, you can just walk in and score the horde once for free. And that's Mm. like a really cool thematic expression of... Slaying a dragon and, and taking his treasure, even though it's just a matter of doing of earning this spell and then triggering it and getting points, I like the thematic expression of that uh, and this is the only table also, just like that dual table element with the disco table. This is the only table that lets you manage that um, time limit that lets you kind of it's got a ball save on it. Uh, That represents, I think it's even a a resurrection spell, Uh, but it lets you do an end run around the dynamic of your flippers filling up and never being able to to catch the ball. It's the table that most breaks the rules that he's introduced, and I really like that about Dragon Slayer.
2: So, Tom, I actually picked this game up last year because I'm a pinball nut, but I have not Ah. played it yet, so.
0: Well have fun play you know the circus table don't don't draw too many inferences from the circus table that's just to get you started <laughs> uh you're not really playing super skill pinball 4 k until you're at least doing the the cyberpunk table yeah, yeah, and,
2: yeah and, me, and me i pick, I pick, up, pick up, up a lot, a of, lot of of uh, roll rights because uh roll-writes. my wife enjoys them so
0: i uh yeah like i roll write some kind of what are you guys' stances on uh providing so a lot of roll rights just come with a big old huge sheet of paper Mm-hmm. How do you feel about having to actually use those sheets of paper?
2: I, I have enough different games that I never go through them all, <laughs> but I always it's always on my mind. What if I run out? Right. But I like I like using the real paper because you know I played something recently called uh, Trails of Tukana, right? And it has a whole little map, and there's I don't know a hundred of them. I'm gonna run out eventually, and I don't know what I'm gonna do then. <laughs> so.
0: Mike, can I make a prediction? Yes. You are never going to run out. If there's 100 sheets in there, you're not going to play that game 100 <laughs> times. You're safe. True. But I'm the I mean, same way. I still
2: think about the possible issue in the future, even though I know I'll never realistically hit it. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: right. I have a, a good friend who is, even if there's like a scoring sheet in a game, she mm-hmm. will not touch it. She'll make a copy and she'll laminate the copy <laughs> use a dry erase marker. She will never deplete... Yeah a pad of paper that comes with the game no matter what. Uh, it's yeah,
2: It's so. like those, uh, whenever there's a legacy game that comes out like pandemic legacy, there's always a big post on board game geek on how to preserve your copy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, these days too, like I, who doesn't have either a, a printer and there's a PDF online somewhere like these days, it's one of the last things you really need to worry about with a board game is running out of their sheets, but I'm the same way. I mean, I totally get it. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking about what about that 101th time that I might want to hit a game <laughs> right. I'm gonna be kicking myself yeah
2: well the wish more games did what uh, the pinball game do, does with uh, just some laminated sheets you're gonna yeah. race you know what's almost every roll and write could work that way instead of having a pad of paper.
0: Uh, what are you guys' idiosyncrasies or your etiquette or uh, tell me about your approach to die rolling Do you guys ever use like lucky dice instead of the dice included with a game?
2: i don't because i have bad luck with any set of dice it doesn't matter (laughs) yeah i I think my only
1: idiosyncrasy is that i really like a good uh like uh
0: die like a dish right that i'm gonna be rolling them in
1: i want something kind of fancy Mm -hmm.
0: i wasn't like that at all hassan until i actually started using one yeah uh and now it drives me batty. Like I can't. I don't roll on the dang table. That's messy. Here, use a die tray. And I had a friend who made me a 3D printed little die tower. Which at first I was like, that's really clatter. It's it's noisy. It's plastic on plastic. It's a racket. I don't. But I love it now. Like I, and the same <laughs> with dice trays. Like I just don't roll. Don't roll dice naked on the table. That's unsightly. It's dangerous. <laughs> you might move apart. Uh, yeah. I right, a, and, and
2: inevitably one's going to fall off the table at some point during
0: your game. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I have a question. Let's say you're rolling two dice. One of them goes off the table. Do you reroll both of them or just the one that went off the table?
2: I, we only do just the one that came off the table yeah, and then, same, you know,
0: we'll same. always get the player who's like,
2: well, it landed on a six on the floor. I'm like, "Nope."
0: <laughs> oh, definitely. No, no. Yeah. There's no question about the, the roll on the floor is not legitimate, but <laughs> If you guys come over to my house, I just want to warn you, if you cannot control your dice, if your dice control talent is so sloppy that you can't keep one from going off the table, you got to re-roll the whole thing. That's <laughs> kind of my feel. Uh, all right. Uh, Hassan. You were playing a game that there's there are two games right now that really, I, I'm just, I know what the first two games are that I'm going to play when the pandemic ends and my group meets again. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them, it's Imperial Struggle, no, Imper- yeah, Imperial Struggle, the GMT game, mm-hmm. that's the Twilight Struggle follow-up, but that's only two players. Mm-hmm. If I, the next time I get together in a group with three players, I know exactly what we're going to play, and it's the game you're about to tell us about. Go. Great.
1: Yeah, I I actually feel similarly. I can't wait to play this one in person. Yeah, so I'm going to chat about Dune Imperium, which um I'll spoilers, I really I quite love it. I think it's great. I mean, I think I was predisposed to to love this game for a couple reasons. You know, one is that it's it's set in the Dune universe, which I have, you know, extreme fondness for. So, um, you know, one one kind of I guess semi tragedy with this game is that it was supposed to come out at the same time as the dune movie by denis villeneuve um, which has been delayed so when you're playing this you'll see all these cool art assets of actors and actresses that you'll recognize and feel sad that you haven't yet seen the movie (laughs) Um,
0: but to be fair too they're not just straight up photographs like i like that they have an artistic tweak to them yeah
1: agree yeah you can tell that it's you know Oscar Isaac but it's it's an artistic rendition you know um no i i really like how they've done it and, and 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 really the from mechanical standpoint i was predisposed to love this because i love hybrid deck builders i really i think i've said this you know before on the podcast probably a couple times that straight deck building is kind of dull and tedious but if if someone combines deck building with a map or some interesting other set of mechanics that allow you to interact with a larger game space then i'm kind of all on board and i think a lot of uh, several of the guys in my game group feel similarly we we like deck builders but really only if it's mixed with something cool Um, and this game definitely does that it's the paul Denon is the guy who designed it and he's the same guy who designed clank um, and you can kind of see, I guess, some common DNA there in the sense of, you know, Clank being a deck builder mixed with uh, dungeon exploration, right? Yeah. Has, um, has
0: there been another crossover between deck building and worker placement, though? Like, is this unprecedented?
1: Well, this this year, um, there's the, the Arnak game. What is it?
2: The Lost Ruins what, what? of Arnak? Is that right? Uh ah. huh. Uh, I have that game. I'll probably talk about it on a future episode.
0: And, that and that's one, worker placement, right? Yeah, that yes. that also mm-hmm.
2: looks lovely.
1: I mean, I'm I'm definitely predisposed to like that one too. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like as you were saying, Tom, like there's there's kind of uh, there's there's these two mechanics that they're that he's mixing together in this game: worker placement and deck building. And at first glance, that sounds kind of absurd, but it works extraordinarily well. Um, and, and like a traditional deck builder, you start with a deck of 10 cards and you draw five into your hand and you're gonna use those five cards as best you can to do some cool shit um, in the game. And then over time, you'll buy newer, better cards to do even even cooler shit, I guess, right? So that that's, that is definitely part of the game. But um, the trick is that I, w- I would argue a bigger part of the game is the worker placement but you can't just place your workers anywhere on this board to gain the resources or to gain influence with the various factions that are at play in the game. Um, You have to use one of your cards from your hand to play a worker to a specific region of the board. So, um, And in doing so, when you use a card to place a worker to a specific location, you no longer will be able to use that card to purchase Uh, new cards for your deck so already there's like a big decision um, that you have to confront when you're looking at your hand of cards is oh which of these am i going to use for the worker placement portion of my turn and which of these am i going to save for the purchasing of new cards and that that already is a really i think juicy fun decision in this game
0: and and he gets a lot of mileage with the card theming too in terms of how each card it's basically dual use. It does yeah. one thing when you place a worker, but it does another thing if you save it instead of using it to place a worker. Uh, and over the course of your turn, at least when you're playing multiplayer, depending on what other players do, and maybe they take a space from you, or maybe you've been paying attention to what cards they might have in their deck, that decision can evolve as well. Uh, absolutely yeah and it's it, super interactive that way yeah. yeah
1: it is very interactive and i think one thing that he he did a really nice job with is you know there are these worker placement games out there where really there's so many different worker locations and they're all good that even when someone takes one from you it's not that big of a deal you're like oh fuck it i guess i'll go get 10 wood <laughs> instead of four ore you know or whatever and so it's like a slight thorn in your side but in Dune, the, the the some worker spots are legitimately just better than others. So you're definitely having to think carefully about where you go first. And when someone takes something away from you that you really wanted, it's quite painful, actually. Yeah. Um, and then I would say the same is actually true of the card buying display is like some are just better than others. So you actually have to think carefully about when you decide to sort of end your turn and go to buy cards because you don't want people grabbing ones that you've got an eye on. Um, and so I think that that's uh, additional tough decision-making that he's baked into this design. It's not just, hey, which cards am I going to use, which locations am I going to go to, but especially when you're playing with four players, oh, it's just, it's a it's really brutal. Um, and it's got a,
0: a really, like, almost... Not Agricola like in that you have to feed a family, but it's not a game. Like, it's got a really tight, ruthlessly honed economy based on water, spice, and uh, money. Like, you need the water to get the spice, and you need to sell the spice to get the money, and you need the money to. what does money do i forget but but (laughs) there are very few resources and you never have enough of any one resource i like how tight the economy is agreed agreed
1: Yeah, yeah the other thing i wanted to emphasize about this game is that it's just complex enough you know um I was just watching somebody I, I I watched some content creator doing a playthrough of uh, of a new Uwe Rosenberg game. And I was both sort of, you know, astonished at his genius and also just completely like I usually am turned off by his design <laughs> because it's just like juggling fifty different resources to do a billion different things and 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 then you know in terms of like how you earn points in a lot of his games it's like well you can do anything really like whatever you do you're gonna get points and in the end look our scores are really close it's just (laughs) i just see that as artificial nonsense um Mm -hmm. this game it's first of all it's a race to 10 points um and i think the the inclusion of that race mechanic not like Hey, at the end of the game, we're going to go through our decks and count up all of our points like a lot of deck builders do. Like, there's none of that. None of your cards really, except with one exception, are worth points. And since it's only 10 points and the first player to get their wins, it's like there's this great tension. Um, yeah. And every one of those points, you're just clawing for it. And it, it's also very clear to you from the beginning of the game what exactly you need to do to get victory points. You know all the places where victory points lie. They're on the influence tracks. They're from winning battles. They're from buying the the Spicemus Flow card. That's basically it, right? And you you know exactly what you need to do to get those points. Everybody does. And so that means that rather than having to kind of wrap your head around 20 different pathways to points, you're just focusing on those three things. And it lets you really focus on your strategy more than anything else
0: mm-hmm. um do you uh, yeah. uh uh it's also if i'm not mistaken it's a game where you can lose points right like it, yeah. there there are points that you fight yeah. over that can trade hands and i love that in a low scoring yeah. game
1: yeah 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 in our last game that we played this is this was kind of fun for us to discover is there's a combat mechanic in the game that I won't go into in great detail. All I'll say is that I think it's done very well. It's not overly complicated. It's very tense. It's very interesting. But um, you know, after our first couple of times playing, we were kind of thinking, oh, you know, if you're gonna win this game, you, you pretty much have to win at least a few of these combats, especially the ones that are later in the game, because those ones can be worth like two victory points, which is that's mm-hmm. yeah, huge, right? And then the last time we played, Dave, son of a bitch, he he basically (laughs) won the game without ever winning a meaningful combat. And he did it by really creating a deck that could efficiently climb these four influence tracks. There's basically these four factions out there, right? The Emperor, the Bene Gesserit, the Spacing Guild, and the Fremen. And you can play cards to increase your influence with those four factions. And there's eight juicy victory points out just on those tracks. Nothing to do with combat. But to get all eight, it just seems impossible. And yet he did it. Like he was able to Whoa. do it. Yeah, he was able to get, I think, all eight of those. And um, and there were several times during the game where he would like bypass somebody, steal the point away from them, get the point for himself. And it was just, oh, it's just like a kick in the nuts. It was great. It was. It's a really, I, I for a game that's in a sense kind of, um it's it's not it's not like super super deep. It still creates some really juicy moments uh during the course of the game that are very satisfying.
0: One of the things Hassan I really like about those faction spaces, uh, because and it's it's where Paul Dennon is really tied in that deck builder, is you kind of have to advertise if you're going all in with a particular faction. Because everybody starts with one multi use card that you use on any faction, but that's only one out of your 10 cards. So as you're buying cards, you can kind of see what factions someone might be interested in. And if that's something you're good at tracking, which I'm not generally, but if that's something you're good at tracking, I imagine it would make it really easy to see, oh, okay, nobody's really uh, budding up with the Fremen, so that's now wide open for me, sort of jockeying for position and having to advertise what you're going to do before you do it. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, agree. I th- I love the I love the influence tracks. I think that he's done some nice theme mechanic integration on those tracks. That's really quite brilliant. You know, the the Bene Gesserit have this gene manipulation space that basically lets you cull your deck and yeah. it so that it's tighter, which is really clever. Um, the Fremen space is you really kind of in a sense need to go up on that track if you're going to play with water and spice so that typically is um an influence zone where all of the players are going to be at least doing a little bit of maneuvering on there which makes it really intense and very thematic because yeah. the fremen are like yeah, if you're going to control arrakis you got to deal with the fremen um yeah it's for a game again that's obviously abstracting a lot of stuff it is surprisingly i think successfully thematic um certainly, and I know other people would argue with this, I would much, much rather play this than the other stupid Dune game. But, oh, you know.
0: good lord. I mean, you could play four <laughs> rounds of this, all of them more exciting than the last in the time <laughs> it would take to play the, that other game once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, the theming is really – like it's just – it's kind of a master class in terms of here's a simple rule set and now here's this fictional universe that we all know and now watch me express it using the simple rule set. Like just the distinction between the cities and the desert spaces on Arrakis. Like that's that's brilliant. That's just a brilliant, simple little distinction but it has all these gameplay ramifications for how it ties into the other systems. I love that about it.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah.
0: Hassan, can you guess what I hate about dune Imperium?
1: <laughs> Let me think the cubes do you hate the cubes?
0: No, what's wrong with the cubes? Why would someone hate cubes? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that they're
1: the cubes represent you know your your units, military units, and of course they're already selling pre-selling this huge upgrade kit that costs as much of the game that is a, a huge bundle of miniatures that you can add. And,
0: oh, good and yes, we're
1: definitely getting them. So.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to say it is the kind of game that, I mean, I feel like it's a game that's good enough and that people care strongly yeah. enough about the theme, and I yeah. could certainly understand that, that I could see someone dropping, you know, a hundred bucks on some awesome collector's edition of it with a bunch of geek calls. Yeah, sure. Sure.
1: This was a case where you know, I I bought the game. I was hoping I'd like it. We all really like it. We're definitely going to keep playing it. And then in, I was like, oh, yeah, of course, I'm going to drop another, you know, 50, 60 bucks to get the deluxified version. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I have a few of those games in my collection that I invest a lot in because I love them so much and I right. have no problem with that.
0: Right, right. Mm-hmm. No, the, so the, the thing that I hate about Dune Imperium, and the reason I bought well, not the reason I bought it. Uh, well, yeah, the, the reason that I bought it during the pandemic is I know that Paul Denon had made, uh, he wanted it to be playable solitaire. Mm. Um, so what it does is it's got an automa, de- automa deck, whatever. It's got an AI deck of cards that you flip up. And because this is at least, you, you need... You basically need three or four people to play Dune. It doesn't support five players. Uh, You could play with two players, but then you need a bot for a third player. To my mind, it's three or four players only because the bot in this, it's just that, and this drives me, I, I just see so many games do this poorly, and I include Dune Imperium, that it drives me batty when this happens. It's just an AI deck that you flip up a card and it arbitrarily tells you what the AI player is going to do. And it completely circumvents the economy, the rules of the deck building. Uh, it's just, OK, he's going to go up this track. You know, He didn't buy a card for that track. There was no indication this is going to happen. Like He just randomly gets to go up that track completely with no regard for the work you would have to do to go up the track. And so you're racing against arbitrary moves that completely disregard the deck building element. And that furthermore, it doesn't even cycle the cards. I just feel yeah. it's a really poor effort to to add solitaire <clears throat> support.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I'm with you. I, I've tried it, I guess, once or twice. And I think that people are responding to it semi-positively, mostly because it just is tuned nicely to, to match your score well. So people feel that it's competitive, right? Um, but in terms of it mimicking a real human player it is it I think it's a terrible solitaire
0: instantiation right. yeah, I totally agree it's well, not just super, mimicking oh go ahead sorry
1: well it just feels very artificial and yeah. um it 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 extracts so much of the joy out of the design, which is exactly. you know try, trying to guess where other people are going to go looking at the resources and saying, oh he has three water that means I actually need to worry about him going to the research station yada 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 there's all this fun cleverness in the game when you can see what everybody has and the ai doesn't follow the same rules as you so. right
0: and i don't mean to ding do an imperium on this any more than you know 70 80 percent of games that claim to support solitaire play i mean this yeah. is just how it's sort of the accepted way that a game can bill solitaire play as a bullet point yeah uh, is yeah. we're gonna have a deck of cards just gonna arbitrarily have the a i do moves see if you can keep up oh you didn't you lost um mm-hmm. so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah uh and I hate too that I like the game so much because i don't i i'm I'm just bummed that it didn't have a better solitaire play I, and I, yeah so but otherwise i yeah, I love what he's done, even though I haven't gotten to try it yet
1: uh, well i'm just gonna i'm just gonna tout <laughs> the t t s mod for doing no, it uh... really it's really good. Uh, it's actually so good that our group, because every time we play it, it's got new improvements, new automated features. Like now, it's gotten to the point where you you place your worker on a spot, and it automatically like gives you what you went to get, and it takes away what you need to pay, and it just it's automated so much. Um, right. It's gotten to the point where we're worried that dire wolf is going to shut it down right (laughs) because oh it's not
0: dire wolf themselves Uh... no
1: no i mean it's just some guy who's put a lot of time and effort into this and you know that that brings up that whole issue of do publishers like tts does it help them sell more copies is it do they see it as 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 dangerous, um, you know. I mean, some obviously some companies like Fantasy Flight do not like, whereas some have been very open to the, to TTS mods. So. Aren't
2: there some companies actually putting out their own content yeah. know, through Steam Workshop and some yep. official ones? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah.
0: And then TTS yeah. mods have been shut down?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there oh. have been some that have been so good, especially when the company is gearing up to release their own for example, Steam game, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and they're like, no, we don't want this on TTS anymore. And you're using our, our assets, right? So, nope, you can't
2: use it anymore. Isn't yeah, there it's a just... really
0: good TTS mod for terraforming Mars?
2: Could be. Yeah, oh, which okay. I almost isn't necessary because the digital one is actually really good. It doesn't have the expansions, but it uh, does the that's, Yeah, anymore. that's what
0: I was going to say, is because they're, they're also selling a digital standalone version, you would think they wouldn't want it uh, on Tabletop Simulator. But I, I, I don't know. Yeah, you know, different it?
1: publishers just have, I think, very different attitudes. Some have been extraordinarily friendly towards mm-hmm. TTS and are just like, whatever, whatever you guys do, because right. they just see it as community building and it's going to sell copies in the long run. Um, right. And I, I think I kind of I mean, I'm not a publisher, but that's kind of where I would lie on this. It's like, yeah, please go play the game, you know, spread the word.
2: So. Right. Yeah, And I wonder if um, now that Asmodee bought Board Game Arena, if we're going to see some more takedowns on TTS. Oh,
0: right, Mike. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Have they taken stuff off of TTS? Like, wasn't there a really thorough Arkham Horror Adventure card game mod? Does either of you guys know I, about that?
2: I or? haven't looked at TTS in a while, so I don't know if that's okay. uh, if they've been taking stuff down.
0: Well, I, I think some of the highest praise I can offer Dune Imperium is that if I were to play a game on Tabletop Simulator, it would be Dune Imperium. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Uh, all right, so Forgotten Waters, Super Skill, Pinball, 4K, and uh, Dune Imperium. Uh, what's something, just because real quickly, what is something you've played during the pandemic that you didn't like? Because we all talked about games today we really liked. Uh, give me a thumbs down on something.
2: i trying to think if i played anything I didn't really like.
0: Cause yeah, why would you if you don't like them? It's not like right. you get other people pressuring you. <laughs> <laughs> to <play. laughs>
1: Tom, what was that game you covered? See, I'm blanking right now. Uh, Falling skies? Is that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The uh, alien, the space invaders, where the aliens are constantly moving down on you. So, right, I had literally
1: the exact same experience as you, which is that I was really enjoying it and was like, oh, this is so clever and it's really hurting my brain in some fun ways. And then I got to the finale and i i literally have threw it in disgust and i just have not looked at it since so yeah, okay. i I've Stand only there, played so Hazan, i'm gonna nuts. i'm
0: gonna i'm gonna kick you in the nuts over and over and over
1: <laughs> i didn't even play the final thing i didn't i it was just i looked at the rules for it i'm like no i'm not gonna do that sorry yeah yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> And, and I picked that up, and I've only done the training so far, so I haven't gotten to that phase. And I, I liked the base, the rules. It seems really cool so far. It's super clever. It's a really cool
1: design. I want to love it. And yet that that final piece really kind of bothered me. I, again, I think Tom really put it very eloquently in his piece about that game. So.
0: It is kind of like a really cool video game that just has a, a horrible boss battle yes. at the very end. Yeah. It's like, why would you do that to this really cool game that you made? Yeah. so. <laughs> All right, right, well, uh, we will be back in a few weeks to talk more about uh, other games that we're playing. But uh, in the meantime, we're happy to be back here, and we look forward to talking to you guys more uh, in the future. So thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. I'm Tom Chick. I have been here with Mike Pullman and Hassan Lopez. Cheers, everyone. (laughs)